everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Entrepreneur Rx. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Angela Reddix. She's a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. She's an award-winning businesswoman and a TEDx speaker and has grown a healthcare management and IT consulting firm called ARDX into a multi-million dollar operation. Angela, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being on it. Well, thank you for having me, John. Excited to be here. All right. Now, I know there's got to be a backstory. So how did you end up where you are? Mm, The backstory is simply put, I was the best employee I could possibly be. I believed in working collaboratively with my employer, understanding their mission, understanding their vision. I rose through the ranks of corporate America and relocated back to the Hampton Roads area. Said I really just wanted to do consulting, just being a one person shop, focusing on family. And after doing a whole lot of years of traveling and having large staff reporting into me, I just kind of wanted to chill and focus on self. That lasted for two weeks before I was tapped on the shoulder to say, listen, you've developed this expertise. We need you. So we need you to subcontract, which became a getting my 8A certification, which allowed me to be a prime contractor, grew from a company from one of one to overnight, a company of 25. We are now 15 years in business, over 100 employees all over the United States. And so I always say this is a company built by demand not necessarily by desire, but once we made the commitment that we were going to be more than a one woman show and a company, we were determined to do excellent work. And and that's my story. I'm sticking to it. That's a good story. Okay. So what was the business you were in where you rose up through the ranks? What was that business? Oh, well, I started very interestingly. I graduated from James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia in business. And my first role ever was a pharmaceutical sales rep. And back then, even now, that was a covenant position and really excited about that, except, you know, I had to work from home and work alone and didn't have any team here, had lots of perks but I didn't enjoy that at all. So I ended up leaving that position after six months of meeting goal and doing well. But I knew very early on that that wasn't what I imagined. I imagined a team. I imagined, you know, getting dressed up and going into an office. And so I relocated from the Hampton Roads area to the Washington, D.C. area, went into telecommunications, was able to move through the ranks in telecommunications on customer service side, then on sales side, then moved into training and development and got my master's in organizational development and training, continued in that field, and then went on to Visa International, where I was the international project manager for our training initiatives. So at that point, I had sales, I had marketing I had training, and now I had project management. And then one of my grad school peers launched a business. She contacted me and said, hey, she had a major contract with Kaiser Permanente. Would I leave my good old cush job at Visa International to help her launch this new business? And I thought she was crazy. I went home and talked to my husband about it, and he said, you should do it. You should do it. And so 
that was my introduction to healthcare. And so I was the face for her company, helped her build that company and traveled for a full year and a half, two years, implementing a claims processing system for Kaiser Permanente nationwide. I owe everything I am today to the fact that I said yes, because I learned healthcare, compliance, et cetera, claims processing and contracting. Then I was recruited by a federal government contractor in the Rockville, Maryland area. That company was bought by Lockheed Martin. And so I was a senior leader in that transition. And then that is where, at that point, I relocated back to the Hampton Roads area. Wow. And then, okay, so once you're back in Hampton Roads, that's when you went kind of back into healthcare. Yeah, I stayed in healthcare. So from the time I was tapped on the shoulder by, you know, my peer and grant program, I haven't looked back. I've been in healthcare administration, fraud, waste and abuse, financial management for healthcare systems. But but how about for Lockheed Martin? Were you in healthcare for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they purchased a, a company and I was over the health services and training division for that federal government contracting firm. Very interesting. Okay, so you move back, and now all of a sudden the entrepreneurial bug is in you. Did you know what was in you before that? Like when you were a kid growing oh, up, did you? I have always been an entrepreneur. I always had the side business. I, you know, that definitely was a bug in me. My grandmother, who was very instrumental in raising me, I'll never forget it was my baby shower for my first child. We had three children. And they do the game about, you know, do you know the mother? And, you know, everyone would say, so the question was, what's Angela's hobby? And everyone would say shopping or something like that. And my grandmother would say, writing plans. She loves writing business plans and projects. And so she knew me so well. She's no longer with, with us today, but she knew me so well. I will tell you that this was before I'm dating myself, before computers and laptops. I was just writing plans. I love business. And so I've always created opportunities for income. And then after graduating from college, you know, I did Mary Kay. We owned a events planning company that I did on the side. We had, my husband and I even had a parenting magazine, African-American parenting magazine when we had our first child, because back then there wasn't a whole lot of diversity in the publications. And so I have been big on identifying the gap and believing that I can solve for the gap. So basically, see a problem, find a solution for it. Absolutely. Fill in the gap. Okay, so that leads me to the next question. Do you think that, and I think I'm going to know your answer, do you think that's a trait that an entrepreneur must have, and what other traits does an entrepreneur need? Because you're, you're talking to a group of entrepreneurs or people who are kind of new to the game. So give us some advice. Hmm. Well, let me just say this. I went back, studied what I thought after growing this company and working heads down, working in the business, satisfying the customers, growing organically, going from one person. I looked up and I had a hundred people around me. I went back for my PhD to study what I thought I would focus on, which is organizational behavior. I actually ended up really being struck by a string of literature called expert performance, deliberate practice, expert performance. Dr. Erickson, is the researcher behind this, which talks about, you know, the 10,000 hours to become an expert. So I've done a considerable amount of, of studying as I have applied that concept to my research or that theory. And which speaks to your question of 
what are the characteristic of an entrepreneur? Can you make an entrepreneur? Are they born an entrepreneur? And I've put that theory to the test. Uh, in fact, I used a population of middle school girls who are in at-risk populations. That is, has become my nonprofit, Envision Lead Grow, where I introduce middle school girls to entrepreneurship through an immersion program. And then I surround them with mentors and coaching for an entire year to see if their mindset shifts. And it is amazing what has happened. In fact, now we have 48 states that we cover, 2,149 girls. If 12-year-old girls can do this, I know that adults can do this. Um, So the antecedents to success as an entrepreneur, number one, self-efficacy. You got to believe. You got to know what your value proposition and see that there's value. Conscientiousness, having attention to detail, focused attention, the ability to delay gratification. Is everything a now, 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 if you don't see results, it's not worth it. That's not going to get you where you need to be as an entrepreneur. And then self-control, because here's the reality. When you're an entrepreneur, there's no one saying you have to do things. And so you really have to have the self-control and discipline that's going to keep you on track. Those are the characteristics that I believe, and I've proven empirically through the studies that create the most success as an entrepreneur. Those are kind of the intrinsic, those are the characteristics. Now, there's two other things that you need. You need passion. And so many people, they get into a place where they're just making the donuts. It's like every day you're just going, it's Groundhog's Day. And so if you're not passionate about something, then when it gets hard, when there's conflict, when the wind blows a little too hard, you're out of there. And passion is what makes you say, you know what, this has been a rough day, but I have purpose in what I'm doing. And then the second thing is you really have to understand business. And that's where many businesses fail. You have a skill, a passion, but you don't understand what it means to operate a business. So I would say those are both the intrinsic characteristics. It is the focus on, you know, what is it that lights your fire and figure out how you can make income from that and then understand what it means to operate a business. What do you think about resiliency? You kind of brushed the kind of brushed the line mm-hmm. resiliency in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, resiliency is it's major, and resiliency I would put under the whole umbrella of mental health. And I will tell you that tenacity and the ability to see beauty in failure mm, that you can't touch an entrepreneur who understands that the gift is in failing. Because you want to fail fast, and there's a whole book on that. You want to fail fast, you want to learn the lesson, and then you want to grow bigger, better, and stronger because of it, instead of fearing it. And fear is what makes a lot of entrepreneurs, you're just paralyzed. You can't think straight because you're so worried about what's around the corner. In these 15 years of growing this company, oh my goodness, John, I've had some days that, you know what, I didn't show up as my best self. I didn't make the best judgment call. I made the best judgment call I knew of at that time, but I don't care. I have a PhD. It doesn't matter how many letters are next to your name. Experience is the greatest teacher. And so I knew what I knew at the time that I made that judgment call. 
And now 15 years later, I look back, I'm like, it's amazing. We're still standing and we're still thriving. And the difference was I kept putting one foot in front of the other. And I said, I'm going to fail at this particular thing one time because I'm going to learn from that. I'm not going to say I'm not going to fail again. I'm just not going to fail on that particular thing. Yeah. So there's that Chinese proverb, you know, fall down seven, get up eight. Yes. You you mentioned resiliency, which was a perfect lead in, or I mentioned it and then you followed up on it, which was a perfect lead into what to Artix. Is it ARDX Foundation? Artix. Uh-huh. Artix Foundation. Yes. What does that focus on? Because Mm -hmm. I think we're going to head down this path that's so important right now, given the pandemic that we continue to be in. Absolutely. So Artix, we formed Artix in 2006, and what we do mainly is focus on public health. In 2016, we formed our foundation, and that's the nonprofit arm, and we shine a light on mental wellness. So many people for years, you know, finally people are talking about it a little bit more, but back in 2016, people still weren't feeling that they could even let anyone know that they were having problems, that they were having challenges. And so there's a stigma associated with it. And we wanted to really shine a light on mental wellness, not on mental illness, because shining a light on mental wellness tells us that there's hope at the end of the tunnel. So what we attempt to do is bring resources. We're an integrator. We don't provide the services. We provide the education and the resources to services that are available. In 2020, we made our focus even more narrowly defined to business owners and entrepreneurs because there are about 31 million businesses in the United States. Small businesses make up almost 90-some percent of the job market. Yet, if if we all see the pressure we were under during COVID, that many were folding, it caused me to dig deeper into the research around mental health and entrepreneurship. There's a Dr. Freeman out of University of San Francisco who did this study, and he talks about entrepreneurs are twice as likely to suffer from depression, six times more likely to suffer from ADHD, three times more likely to suffer from substance abuse, 10 times more likely to suffer from bipolar disorder, twice as likely to have a psychiatric hospitalization, and twice as likely to have suicidal thoughts. It's real. It's it's very real when you know that you are the single point of failure to the lights staying on or the nuts, the, the lights going out to a hundred individuals having food on their table. So where the average person really only has to think about the food on their table as an entrepreneur and employer, you're having to think about a lot more than that. And so we really do programs around ensuring that we provide support and resilience training for small business owners, in particular, women. And what what was the aha moment for you with that one? Was it your own experiences thinking, wow, this could be really tough? Or did you, was you were you consulting with folks and and watching what they went through? What, what was you, you know, before you said, you see a problem, you find a solution. Mm-hmm. Clearly you found a solution. When did you see the problem? Mm-hmm. So I've lived the problem. And I know that there are three, as a business owner, there are three individuals I have on speed dial. I have my attorney, I have my CPA, and I have my counselor. Because when they say it's lonely at the top, 
That is so true. And people can say they understand, but you don't understand until you walk in those shoes. And so that I've lived the experience. But for me, around March of 2020, when the world was closing down and small businesses had to close their doors, not because they wanted to, but because they were required to, I saw all around me peers that were saying they didn't think they were ever going to be able to open their doors again. So it was real before my very eyes. So I was very grateful and am very grateful that we had reserves, we had cushion. We were not in the same position that many of my peers were in. Yeah, it's funny you said it's one of the top. I talk about this often because, and I say, you know, no one knows what it's like to have to make payroll with no money. That's right. Triple mortgage your house and all the things that entrepreneurs have to do. And where it looks, you know, it looks like it's fun, amazing, exciting, but boy, there are times when you are just dragging. And so, so Artix is a resource for mostly women business owners who are struggling and want to make sure that their mental wellness stays in check. Is that a good way to summarize it? Absolutely. And not so Artix Foundation. It's not just for women, it's for people, period. However, we do have a program called Reddix Rules and Reddix Rules program where I actually give grants to 10 women per year who are in startup mode to, you know, still the beginning stages. And there's three components to the program. And we've been very fortunate to have sponsors who've come alongside of us. But one part is giving them operational excellence training, because a lot of times no one's taught people how to read a PL statement. They think that they can, you know, focus on what they love to do, but you also need to take care of your back office operations. So that's a part of it. The second part is the resilience coaching and training. So they go through 10 hours of coaching through some of our partner mental health professionals. And then the third part is raising capital for them. So those three combinations have allowed our women to grow their companies by 10 times at a time when people were thinking it's impossible to start a company and certainly impossible to to grow a company. Providing the proper wraparound services have allowed these women to continue to thrive. And how do you teach resiliency? Because other than putting people in situations where they better be resilient or they're going to fail, which is tough to do, how do you teach it? Mm. I would say that as I sit in some of the workshops, I am not the expert. That's why we have mental health experts. But what what I've learned from even observing the program is step number one, it's not about teaching them what it is. It's teaching them creating an awareness of the tools that we all have. It's just we have to determine that we're going to use the tools. So one big thing that we do is create a tribe, create a support group. That is one of the main things that the ladies get out of this. And actually, as the cohorts graduate, they become each other's tribe because they all speak the same language now because they've had the same experience. So that's number one. The second thing is resilience comes from recognizing the value of your story and shifting your perception and your perspective, shifting it from a victim perspective to the fact that you're here to tell the story and your story is going to empower someone else. All of a sudden you have purpose, even in the problem. So it is really shifting the mindset of how you're viewing the situation that gives power that gives you the energy 
to even continue to go to the next mountain and overcome that. So you're really not teaching them how to become more resilient. You're giving them tools to A, recognize it, B, have a support group, and C, I guess, find the beauty or find the gratitude in the, you know, the, the fun, I always say the fun is in the journey. You know, destination is cool, but the fun is in the journey. And the, the fact is anything dealing with mental wellness, we do realize it is all in how you're viewing circumstances. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been on with my, you know, I have an executive coach and then I have a counselor and they're very different. And, but each one is about inquiry. They're asking me questions to help me reframe what I'm seeing. That's most of our problem is all in how you're seeing things. So we're not teaching people how to be mentally well, you're teaching people how to use tools that all exist within. No one can give you a magic potion. I mean, there's medicine, but even with that, you still have to have coping mechanisms. So you're teaching mechanisms and tools so that people know, number one, that that exists, and then give them an opportunity to exercise that particular muscle in a circumstance so that at least they understand, oh, that's what the bicep feels like. And so that's what what we're doing. All right, let me ask you a question. This just dawned on me recently, and I I read a lot. And one of the books I just finished reading, they talked about Mm self-talk. And I realized, and, and I don't know why this is the case, but I've never been a person, I mean, I'll be critical of myself and say, John, come on, you can do that better. And I'll make fun of myself and laugh at myself easily. But I've never really been... I've never really had negative self-talk and, you know, call myself names and, and yeah. shame myself. Is that something that you struggle with? You seem like a person who is like, you are a positive self-talker. Was that learned or did you, or are you that way naturally? I'm going to have to pause on this one, John. Let me, I'm going to go back some, because I know what my answer would be in my adult years. I'm going to go back. You know, it's so interesting because I was very shy growing up. People can't believe that. I was very shy. I'm an only child. It was just my mother and I. She was a single mother. And I spent a lot of time with my dolls playing school. That's that's what I remember as a young Angela. So I will say that I had negative self-talk. I will say that I, I really didn't have a voice at all. And I did not find my voice until... I went to James Madison University. I love, 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 love my alma mater because I found my voice. I found my people. I found my value. And I would say that anyone who knew me from college on would say, I have always seen the possibilities. I I shoot for the possibilities. and, And I am that person that I have a creative side of me yet I'm very analytical. So it's very interesting, but I can say it, I can see it, say it, write it and do it. And it's, it's done any project, any program, because I have positive energy around me. So in these years, I would say the last five years, I am very cognizant of who I surround myself with, because I believe that when you, when we're all rowing in the same direction, we can get somewhere. But I I have to protect my mental state and I have to protect my emotions so that I can continue to be the force that pushes us forward. So I don't do a lot of negative talk, self-talk or about other people. I just don't have time for that. It it seems like, and I could be totally wrong, but it seems like there was a time in your life, maybe it was relatively recently, 
where you are on that edge of this would go this way negative or this would go this way positive and you made my sense is you've made a couple choices one screw that i'm going to be positive two i'm going to find some people to surround myself with who are going to keep me on the path is that true wow john very you're spot on and it's it's pretty amazing you know i was raised my mother was one of 10 and they were born she was you know basically raised in public housing and she graduated three years early from high school valedictorian of her class and she was able to get out she was able to get out because she was accepted into an ivy league university and for her time being african-american that was like amazing studying math so what i'm trying to tell you is she's a pretty brilliant woman by the end of that first year of college she was expecting me and so she had a decision to make you know to have me at all to raise me and stop going to school or to take the road that she took, which I am so thankful that she did. And that was, she continued her education and my grandmother and my aunts and uncles, they raised me. So I had a very, let's just say non-traditional upbringing and she went on to law school, NYU. So she she came back and she became a corporate you know, leader at AT&T and moved me from where everyone looked like me to all the way to the waterfront where nobody looked like me, but she knew that that was the best education system for me. And so very much so those statistics as I was in grad school and working on my dissertation, that's why I was drawn to the literature that I was drawn to because that story doesn't match the picture of who you see today in most people's minds. And so absolutely, I could have gone through door A. I was home alone a lot. I was a latchkey kid. Or I could have gone through door B. It was a series of decisions and a whole bunch of people in the community who said, "Mm -mm, it's not a question of whether you're going to be successful. You're going to be successful. And so I am very grateful that I had, I believe I have texture in my life because of that. I have compassion for people. And I also have the audacity to believe that I basically can do anything because if she could do what she did, I come from some some good stuff. So I recognize that nothing stands in our way, but our determination to either go for it or to not go for it. And it does not always look the same. The journey doesn't look the same for every person. And that's okay. So, so I, I have the same thought perspective. I always go back to Viktor Frankl. You know, Viktor Frankl can do it and have this positive attitude that he had, then nothing you can throw at me is going to stick. Either mm-hmm. Viktor Frankl can do it, and I'm, you know, if I'm a if I'm a hundredth of what he is, I still have that resi- resilience. Yeah. But what what you just said is that the basis for you to start writing these books? Because that's oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the basis of Envision League Grow, our nonprofit. That's why I selected middle school girls. That's when I moved from where everyone looked like me to no one looking like me. That was a pivotal time in my life, a defining moment in my life. And while I have to tell you, I hated every moment of feeling like I was in isolation. And then I think that's why I didn't have much of a voice during that time. I'm so grateful as an adult because I can move in and out of settings and it's it's not as big of a deal because it's kind of normal for me. And 
there are no mistakes and there are no coincidences. I am a woman of faith. So I know that my path was divinely created for me, but it's not only for me to benefit from. So I'm so committed to being the light in the community, that, that shiny object that shows women and girls that it's possible. And that drives me. So it's a perspective if you can do it, so too can they. Oh, yeah. And it's also, it is very difficult for people to be what they've never seen. So if you are a little girl who you're in a community and that's all you see, then that's basically the limit to what you're going to be for the most part. I mean, you have some people who are just extraordinary, but the average person, I want to show them that whether you're raised by your grandmother, whether you're raised by your aunt, whether you're raised by a single mother, women, whether you had a child out of wedlock, whether you, all of these things, everybody talk to people long enough, everybody got something going on. So we all have something. I want to be the shiny object that allows you to focus on the possibilities as opposed to all the other stuff, the noise, and that you really can be more than what you see in your mind's eye. So it's so important for people to hear this story because I don't believe this is specific to a particular race particular gender, people have challenges, period. And so we just need to see that there's possibilities. So for your mom, however, she clearly, well, she's extraordinary, no doubt. But you said she grew up in the projects as one of 10, and yet she just crushes it. <laughs> who was her, you know, who was her bright, shiny object that she could look at and say, wow, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, there's something else I can do. Did she have one? I have no idea, but I tell you what, John, I'm going to ask her that this evening. I've never asked her that question she's because okay. I'm trying to think back to just the history that I know. I don't know who she was modeling. Yeah. But I mean, you know, valedictorian graduates three years early, goes in Ivy League. And, and then you said she had a law degree after the, after getting she went to law school. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. So I don't know who she was. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I will yeah. ask. That's pretty damn impressive. So, mm -hmm. you know, it sounds like you had that light and then your family, you know, you had a, the whole tribe mm -hmm. raised you. Mm -hmm. So you had some good underpinnings. Do you think now looking back that some of the things you've done has been, you know, there's always a saying like, you know, you always try to fix yourself first. Sounds like some of the things you've done were because you've recognized things in yourself that you've luckily and consciously and divinely gone through one sliding door as opposed to the other. Does that mm -hmm. sum it up? How can, you then, how can then, can you teach people to make those choices to take the higher road, to take the walk towards the light and not towards the darkness? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I am big on training and I believe you teach a lot of things, but I have to tell you that particular thing, I only think that you can demonstrate. You demonstrate what you want others to emulate. Some people catch it, some people don't. Some people catch it quickly, some people catch it later. But I don't, I can't even think of a curriculum to put together for that. I think that is where the, the TEDx speaking and all of that comes into play. People have to just hear it. We have to be open to sharing our stories. And a lot of people, they're private, you know, like my family, they're very private. I had to tell my story because I was called to know that. This is extraordinary and 
you're not helping anyone. If the people only see the final product, they don't understand what went into the final product. It seems like you can't reach that particular star. So I would say that's the curriculum. It is hearing people's stories and being patient with people and mentoring. But you have to have a great deal of humility to share your mistakes in front of people doing the TEDx, right? So not everybody has that. You know, many people are, like you said, private. Many people are afraid to admit or show failure because then it's a chink in the armor and somebody may see the real them. How did you become unafraid of that? Because I think a lot of people that are going to be listening to this are going to say, I can never do that because then someone's going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to recognize the imposter, mm-hmm. the imposter. I mean, we all have imposter syndrome, but mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people that that is very all consuming. Two things. It's one thing to be an entrepreneur. It's another thing to be an employer. And the more people that you hire, the more critics that you possibly have. I mean, let's face it. Employees like to talk about the the them. You know, they're making this decision. It's always the them. And it was a it was cold water on my face because I see myself as the same person I was in 2006. I'm very collaborative. You know, when we're doing large training programs, I would be on the floor with the staff putting binders together. So I see myself that way. But it was a, a harsh reality to understand that you have a C, E, and O next to your name. No matter how down to earth you attempt to be, you're not in the eyes of others. And so the vicious things that people would say when I know how much I give and I know my heart and I know how much I don't have to give, but I give at the time it hurts. But I will tell you, there is nothing that has taught me how important it is just to be real, to be vulnerable and to be honest, because people see you as an institution. They see you as a building because you are a business and they don't see that you bleed also. So that to me is a humbling experience that, listen, if you don't tell your story, somebody's going to tell their story and it may not be the true story, but you don't, people don't have anything to balance it against. So I, I had to come out so to speak, because I was forced out. And so that would be one. And then the second thing is I love to have a good time. And some of the best times I have is laughing at myself. And so we just have to be okay with just laugh at yourself. It's it's just okay. It's not the end of the world. You know, there was a time when, I don't know, growing up, like the worst thing in the world would be this. And the worst thing in the world would be that. And now I, I think about it, my husband and I joke, our first child and how everything had to be so, you know, particular. And we wanted her to do certain things. Our third child, we're like, is she living? Is she, you know, so it's like you live long enough and you say, really? Underneath it all, we're all human. We're not perfect. Get that out of your mind. And once you get that out of your mind, you can shape your story the way you need to shape your story. But to stand and say that you don't fall short in any way, you're just making yourself sick. Because it, yeah. that's not reality. Yeah, that's that is phenomenal advice. It, you're, all you're doing is you may make yourself feel better transiently, but you're making it a lot harder on yourself. Yeah. So where can people go to find out more about you? This has been, you know, very inspiring. Well, please go to AngelaReddix.com. Tell us a lot about the different projects and programs that we're involved in. You can also follow me 
on Instagram at I am Dr. Ange, Dr. Uh, D-R-A-N-G. I'm also on LinkedIn as Angela Reddix. And yeah, let's stay connected. Absolutely. Thank you so much, folks. We're going to put this in our show notes. Angela, thank you. This has been very inspiring for me. And I know it's certainly going to be inspiring for our listeners. I feel like, like charged up, change the world right now. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, John, for this opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.